So we're going into a new series this week called Different. We are going to be different. We're going to visit some areas in our lives for the next few weeks that we can be different. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I want to give you just a little bit of background. On Wednesday nights, um, we've been going through the book of James, and we go slow through these verses. Now, I don't preach slow. I don't talk slow. I have just as much fun on, actually, a little bit more fun. Just If I'm just be completely honest, a little bit more fun on Wednesday night. It's a little bit more family-oriented, a little bit more personal. I, I, I loosen up a little bit. My top button is never done on Wednesday night. Never even looked at a tie in my closet and thought, maybe I should wear that today. Not for Wednesday night. It's a good time. We've gone very slowly through the book of James, almost uh, a verse at a time, and preached through that book. And we're going to do that with the book of Peter um, through this series called Different. We're not going to dig as deep as we do on Wednesday night. Um, we're not, we're not going to, it'll be on a little bit smaller scale uh, for us here on Sunday morning. But let me give you just a little bit of, of background. Um, obviously, the book of Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, or the disciple Peter. And, and this is a little bit of a side note, but did you know that, that you don't have to be a, a Simon Peter in order to be an evangelist for the gospel? In fact, one of my favorite people in Scripture is not Simon Peter. It's his brother, Andrew, that's very rarely talked about. I've heard a lot of sermons on Simon Peter. I've heard very few sermons on Andrews. But let me tell you something. There are some Andrews in this room that you don't understand how much of an impact you're having on the kingdom of God because it's the Simon and Peters that you're going to get, that you're ministering to, that you're loving on, that you're saying, hey, I, I just met this man named Jesus and I want you to come meet him too. And then Simon Peter meets Jesus and he's the one on the platform on the day of Pentecost leading 3,000. But let me tell you, if it weren't for Andrew, if it weren't for Andrew, Simon Peter would have never met Jesus. So don't you ever underestimate your influence in God's kingdom, no matter how big of an impact you think you're making personally. So Simon Peter was, was not a formerly educated man. You don't have to go to Bible college to share the gospel. I didn't go to Bible college until I went in ministry. I've been since. Don't worry. You're safe. Okay. I have since become credentialed and licensed, and, and I will complete my master's in leadership at the end of this year. Praise God. Hallelujah. I will be, thank you just for celebrating with me. I am sick of writing papers, my Lord, but it's been good, and, and we are going to go from there. But you don't have to have that. Simon Peter, uh, recognized today by many as St. Peter, uh, he was not formally educated. He was not in a, a Jewish scholar. He was not daily in the synagogue or in the temple studying. In fact, he was little more than a, a fisherman. But let me tell you something. God had put a gift inside of him. He was a businessman. And he was ignorantly bold at times as you read his story. He was bold and, and he was even a little bit boisterous at times. But Peter in his book, even though he had no formal education, he deals with some very difficult, deep, tough issues. He deals with the foreknowledge of the gospel. 
and the children of God. He deals with divine election. He deals with sanctification and obedience. He deals with revelation. And he deals with the hope that we have. The hope that we have as God's people. And we are called to be different. Let's look at that for a minute. I just want you to keep that up there for me for a second. That, that different logo that we are and that we have because that is what we are called to be set apart and different see Peter's epistle Peter's letter to the church was written between 60 and 65 AD during the reign of the emperor Nero and uh, this guy was a psycho to say the least he, he was a klepto-psychopathic terrorist that was on the throne uh, as emperor of Rome. Nero was so evil, he killed his own mother. He killed uh, his first wife. He killed another wife. It was Nero that is given credit for burning Rome. Now, some people say that, that he didn't actually do this or he didn't actually set it. Um, and then uh, the story even goes on further that he was so psychotic that he not only lit the fire, but he sat on his balcony and watched Rome burn and played his violin almost as an act of worship for himself and for the act of terrorism that he had completed while the screams of the women and children rang out through the fire Nero sat on his balcony and worshiped himself as Rome burned for 6 days now no matter who started the fire or the historical accuracy of of that there is a historical accuracy in the fact that after the fire was beginning to dissipate, Nero began to blame a certain people group that was growing stronger and stronger within his kingdom. And he referred to those people as Christ ones. He blamed the Christ ones for setting the fire. And they had seen what he had done to his mother and his first wife and another wife, and many others who had disagreed with him along the way. So no one in Nero's court or in the Senate or with under his leadership or influence was willing to argue with him. So they all blamed the Christ ones or the Christians for the great fire of Rome. Nero began to persecute the Christ ones at an unprecedented level. Uh, it was Nero's chariots that dragged Mark, the author of the book of Mark, John Mark, and, and the one that Paul had raised up. It was Nero's chariots that would drag John Mark through the streets of Rome for two days alive until he was beat to death and then continued dragging him even in death until his, his bones were exposed and they made sure that he would not be resurrected as his Jesus was. It was Nero who would put dead animal skins, not like tanned and pretty like we make rugs, but dead animal skins over the backs of Christians, and he would put them in cages with wild, rabid dogs who he had not been feeding to tear the Christians to shreds. It was Nero who would dip 
Christians in hot wax and he would bind them to a tree in the streets of Rome and the Christians would be burned alive on the stake in the streets of Rome and it would be the bodies of the believers that would light the streets for the parties of Nero. Okay, this is a, this is a bad, evil, demonic leader. And yet, the church would thrive during his reign. So we are not bound by leadership. We're not bound by government. We're not bound by laws. We're not bound by powers. We're not bound by principalities. We just need to discover what he's already declared over us. And we need to be different. Who is this for today? This is for the person that has been hurting. This is for the person that has unanswered questions. This is for the person whose bank account is not full. Whose tension is financial. Whose tension is relational. Whose marriage is on the rocks. Whose children are straying. Whose job is in the balance. Whose own discipline is more faithful to addiction than to abiding in Christ, whose health is on the edge. This book is written for those in the midst of trials. That's who Peter is writing to. And if you're in the room this morning and you would look and say, Pastor, I'm I'm not in a trial. I'm, I'm thankful that, that, that right now life is, is going well. I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, I can almost promise you, as I heard a pastor say recently, that we are all in one of three places. We are all either coming out of a trial, in the middle of a trial, or about to go into a trial, whether we know it or not. So, this book is for all of us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you have that Bible then it will be very easy for you to follow along. If you don't, you may just kind of mark or highlight. Uh, At this point, you could take your iPad and change the New King James or ESV. You just hit a little tab and you can pick the New Living Translation, just modern technology. It's good for all of us. If you don't have any of those, we will have it on the screen for you. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that he wrote that because we wouldn't have been able to give it a title had he not opened his letter that way. I am writing to whom? To God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, that other word, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay? See, I told you I'm still working on the Bible college thing. Don't judge me. Verse 2 God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. We are different not because of what we've done, but because of who He is. It is His Spirit that is cleansing us and pruning us and and making us holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God gives you more and more grace and peace even in the midst of that terrible tribulation that we were just talking about. The word foreigners in verse 1 
It means an exile, a sojourner, an alien, or a stranger. Now Peter writes to these people and he says, I am writing to you as God's chosen people. Listen, I am talking to you this morning by the fact that you have had a divine appointment for such a time as this to hear the word of God today. You are here not because you just chose to be, but because God called you to come today and to hear this message for the season that you are either coming out of about to go into or standing in the midst of. I am talking, I am speaking, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. This world is not your home. You are exiled to this place for a moment. You are an alien to this earth. For a moment, Chris, you believe in aliens. Absolutely, I are one, okay? I am going to a better place. This is not the place that I was created to live in. I was created in the image and likeness of my father in the Garden of Eden to walk with him in the cool of the afternoon. I'm going to face some tribulation and trial while I'm here, but it's going to refine me as gold. And one day, I will be home with my Savior and my daddy and my grandmother and all the people that outlive me will eventually come and join me in that place that I will call home for all eternity. This is not the end. I was not created just for this. I'm a foreigner here. Even as a United States citizen, I'm a foreigner. I've got to understand and remember that this is not my home. I am a heavenly creation serving an eternal God. And this is not where I will stay. I am different. And my wife said, Amen. (laughs) Today I want to talk to you not just about being different, but I want to talk to you about having a different kind of faith. A faith that is different, which will cause a perspective to be different. Verse 6 in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this about the trials and tribulations that he's writing about. He said, So be Truly glad. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. They're temporary. They are not eternal. Verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is... Genuine. Now, I'm just going to pause right there for just a few minutes. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. The King James Version, it actually says in a different way, but portraying the same message, that your faith will be proven through these trials. That through these trials, your faith would be proven, or that you would have an authentic, a proven, a legitimate Faith. Now listen, if there is a genuine and there is an authentic, a proven faith, then that what, what that tells me is that for everything that there is, there is an antithesis. That means that there is a not. So there is the true faith, the authentic, genuine faith, and then there is a false faith. There is a false hope in a faith that may or may not be proven genuine 
or authentic. Can I just share my greatest fear with you? It's the reason that I'm in ministry. It's the reason that at 19 years old, I was reading Matthew chapter 7, and I did not have a lot of confidence in my faith. It's the reason that Megan and I sold our house before we knew where we were going, and, and we've done our best not to look back since. It's the reason that I smile and, and sometimes cry when I see a girl that I went to high school with now teaching my children on a weekly basis and my babies come home and they're being raised in a spirit-filled church atmosphere that believes the full gospel in every area. I'm thankful for the opportunity. But my fear is it's so easy in the Bible Belt to be a Christian and to have faith that many people have false confidence in a faith that's less than authentic. Many believers, many people that I know and love do not have an authentic, a genuine, and a proven faith because it's so easy. It's actually culturally expected that you would be a believer because you live in the southern Bible belt. Where many of us, if we were just simply above Arkansas or above Missouri, our faith would be challenged in ways that we have never experienced. And within a year, we would begin to doubt the God that we believed in our entire lives because we were raised in it. There are three types of faith that I fear. And I've had all three, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm sharing with you today. By the way, let me just also give credit where credit is due. Um, Lifechurch.tv, led by Pastor Craig Groeschel. He was the author of one of my favorite books called The Christian Atheist, where he writes about people who say they are Christians but live like they're atheists. He is the pastor of Life Church, a huge multi-campus church in the state of Oklahoma, he and his church went through this series about a month ago in, the, in August, and I watched the, the series, and I was intrigued by it, and I wanted to share it with our people. They give incredible media things that we're able to pass along to you, and we are able to accomplish our vision together, which is to meet people and grow closer to God together. Listen, I just wanted to make sure that you know I'm still growing too. Amen. He's, that's a Pentecostal baby. <laughs> I love that. Listen, there's three types of faith that I fear, and I recognized myself in every one of them. Number one is a, an inherited faith. It's, it's not a faith that I developed on my own. It's not a faith that I gained personally or I understood because of my own experiences it's a faith that I inherited. It's a faith that I experienced because that is what Thomas A. Fry devoted his life to. That is what uh, his son and his son and, and my mother and my stepfather and my family went to that church. So I was in that church. I was in the VBS. I was in the youth group. And it was culturally the norm for me to experience all those things because 
that's what everybody else experienced. It was actually the popular thing in my time at my small little private school. The popular thing was to go to the uh, lunch break Bible study. That was the popular thing. And I love those things, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Eunice High School has an incredible FCA and some incredible leadership and coaches and, and people on the campus and I, our youth pastors involved and, and Miss Yogi Satig and many of our students and I'm for those things, but I'm always afraid of a faith that is only inherited. I'm always afraid of a faith that was only had because it was expected by family or it was given by family. I'm always afraid of a faith <clears throat> that just because I'm here because my, my grandfather was here, or I'm here because my mother was here, or I'm here because my older brother was here. It was never really my faith. I lived my faith vicariously through my family. I lived my faith vicariously through the fact that it was popular for me to have that faith, I was inherited, I was in the right atmosphere, and I'm thankful for that, and I pray that that same thing is for my children, but I want them to take it to the next phase. I don't want it to just be inherited. I want it to be personal. I want it to be understood. I want them, one of my prayers every night, I want them to understand the revelation of Jesus' gospel. I want them to receive salvation for themselves. I want them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in a language that they They've never learned so that they, too, can speak mysteries into the kingdom of God and achieve their ultimate potential for everything that he's created them to do. I want them to know Jesus and make him known. I don't want them to live through my faith because an inherited faith alone is a dangerous faith. Number two, a shallow faith. A shallow faith. Um. I'm for ministering to people where they are, by the way. I'm, I'm not for choking people out because they're not yet as faithful and spiritual as I am. I'm not for pushing people away from the church because they had not been yet discipled to share the same convictions that I currently possess. Okay, I just That's my disclaimer on that. But at the same time, I fear for those who have a shallow faith. I fear for those who are comparable to the parable that Jesus tells when he talks about the seed that was sown in shallow ground. It didn't have a depth. It didn't have roots. And Jesus says that when the thorns of life came up and surrounded the growth of that seed, it choked that seed out and that seed no longer produced the fruit. My fear is that the people that we have had in the past six months may not be the people that we continue to have in the next six months because their faith was never rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They may stop coming or they may start attending somewhere else because the pastor's not feeding them or the music's not at the right level or the atmosphere's no longer as conducive as it once was. What I'm telling you is that is a faith that is shallow. I'm not against you going different places that minister to you better and your family better. I'm not against that. And I understand that there will be some, some shifting of sheep according to how the shepherd is feeding 
leading or protecting. I get that. But at the end of the day, we must personally have a faith that is not shallow, that can't be choked out by the things that we don't or do like or love. We've got to get to the place where we have such a deep-rooted faith that we understand that coming on Sundays 15 years from now is no longer about us. We're just here today to help you minister to those that stumbled in here. We're here today to help you equip the rest of the saints to do the rest of the ministry. Pastor, I need to know what you need help doing, and that's what I want to do. Pastor, I want to minister like you're ministering. I want to do like you're doing. I understand that God's vision for Eunice is bigger than your staff, and I want to do everything that I can not to have a shallow faith, but to get involved and develop some roots so that I can accomplish it with you. I believe that that's why we do small groups, and we have semesters, and we meet. I don't want to burn people out, but we meet throughout the week, and and we give multiple opportunities to go into that small group atmosphere and either study the Word on our own or study with a small group of people, and that we should develop friendships to meet people and grow closer to God together, that we would develop friendships where we have honest, accountable relationships with people. Well, Pastor, um, man, there's just some weird people, man. I just just don't like going to those things. I just don't like being on those places. Well, I have seen most of you in the last year at least one time at Walmart, and there is no weirder place in the world to go and meet people than in the the aisles of Walmart, but that hadn't stopped any of you from visiting the grocery section of Walmart. And if you would continue to feed yourself in the physical and temporary and not worry about the weird people around you, then how about wake up on Sundays and Wednesdays and sign up for a small group and disciple yourself and your family into a place where you're doing more than just eating once a week and expecting to be full. Listen, you need to step in. Just... just, I'm just, get off in there. Like, don't ease around the edge. I was squirrel hunting with Pastor, well, I was, he was one place, I was another place, but neither one of us, I didn't see a squirrel until I was leaving. They were all sitting on the power line waving, telling us, <laughs> I didn't even fire a shot. But I got up to this mud. Listen, here's what's funny, is that I got up to this mud, and, and I had these boots on that were, I had my hip boots on, all I had to do was, but I, I didn't want to go off in the mud. I didn't want to get stuck, and I didn't want to make all that noise. So I was trying to tiptoe around the edge, and I got up to the corner of it, and there was just a big water puddle. I didn't know how deep it was, and y'all's mud is thick, okay? So I didn't want to get gumboed out in the middle of the, that. That's not how I want to be gumboed, okay? So I, I stood on the edge of that, and, and I could have gone through it. And if I would have gone through it, I would have found a trail on the other side of it that the landowner showed me after the fact, if I would have gone through it, I would have found a trail, and I would have made my way down that trail quietly, and I probably would have found those squirrels that somebody else came and shot. But I wasn't willing to go through it. So because I wasn't willing to go through it, I turned around, and I went back where I came from. And so many times, that's what we do. Instead of being willing to go through it, instead of being willing to step in and go a little deeper, Even if we make a little noise along the way, we turn around and we go back from where we came. And ultimately, we end up in a chair beside an old deer stand wondering when everybody else will be done because it is hot 
and I am sick of these mosquitoes. Step in. Let me give you an example. Did you know that wolves do not attack the middle of the flock? A wolf, whenever it sees a a flock of sheep, um, I think that's what they're called, whenever a herd, whatever, sees the the herd, uh, he will not not just, he's not like a pit bull, okay? Like, I love pit bulls. You ever take them hog hunting? Man, they'll just go into the pitch black. Boom, and they just run into whatever they find. Sometimes it's a tree, and it's funny. Sometimes it's a hog, and it's fun. But whatever it is, they don't just, that's not how wolves operate. It's not how the enemy operates either. See, the enemy, just like a wolf, looks for those who are on the fringe, who have one foot in and one foot out, and they're still trying to decide whether they want to get in the middle of this or whether they want to still go back off over there on their own. So listen, no matter where you are today, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're on the fringe and you're trying to figure it out, okay, I would encourage you to do what I did and follow me as I follow Christ. You need to just, say, just, just make your way. Excuse me. Um, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm just going to get. That's what I did with Michael Irvin's crowd that was surrounded him. I was just, excuse me. I'm going, I'm going to, Jesus is in the middle of this thing. And I'm going to go where the shepherd is. I'm sorry if I just offended you. But I'm not staying out there anymore. I'm not going to go over there anymore. I'm not going to be with those people anymore. I'm not going to be influenced in that way anymore. I'm going to get right in the middle of this thing and I'm going to let Jesus's staff and rod protect me because there's too much on the line for me to stay on the fringe any longer. I want to get some roots. I want to get in the middle. Here's the final one. Many of us have a conditional faith. We love God when it's conducive. We worship Jesus when the atmosphere is set. When everybody else around is worshiping Jesus. I need some teenagers to listen to me. Your relationship with Jesus goes beyond the sanctuary. Your relationship with Jesus will influence your peers. Your peers don't influence you. You set the atmosphere in the place that you're in. The atmosphere doesn't establish how you act or who you are in Jesus. He's bigger than anything that they can bring to you. And he's better than anything that they have to offer. Take it from this one little 30-year-old, if you will, that his ways are higher than our ways as high as the heavens are above the earth now let me come back up here the same still applies to us just because they face things that we know better than doesn't mean that the American dream is no more detrimental to God's divine destiny to our lives to our families we can't have conditional faith I love God but then something happened And instead of loving God more or drawing closer to Him, and I'm not belittling this, but instead of loving God more or drawing closer to Him, I began to doubt whether He even exists. My faith was was conditional. It was based on the condition that a TV preacher told me that if I would give my life to Jesus, then everything would go well, and I would have a suit and a car and a mansion and that's not just, it's just not how it goes. God has called some people to that, to that ministry. We have some kings in the sanctuary this morning that support the ministry because of the success that they've had. But we have some priests in the sanctuary this morning. We have some servants in the sanctuary this morning. We have some laborers in the sanctuary this morning. We have some maid servants in the sanctuary this morning. And I'm telling you that your role is no less important just because it looks better than somebody else's. 
It can't be conditional. Well, how could a God of love allow such evil? Let's flip that question. Anytime that you hear that question, because that's the number one thing that somebody comes at you that doesn't believe in God, they will come at you. How could a God that is love allow so much evil? <laughs> Let's flip that. How could a God of justice and infinite power be so patient? How could a father sit back and watch all the evil that's happening to his children and wait patiently for the one that's doing the evil to his children to become one of his children? That's a God of love. That he would watch Saul of Tarsus murder his beloved and yet he saw the call upon Paul that he would patiently wait for just one more conversion. He's so loving, he's willing to wait. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Let me give you two things about trials this morning and then we'll close. Trials reveal, trials will reveal your faith. Trials will reveal your faith. Look at verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your, Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. That's good for me. Because I don't have a lot of gold. <laughs> but I can have a lot of faith. It's more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much, it will bring, not God, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world because this is not your home. You've been created for more. And listen, a faith that's tested is a faith that can be trusted. In fact, you cannot trust it until it's been tested. Well, I know the answer, but will you show the answer? Peter had the right to speak into this. In Luke 22, we see that Jesus told him, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He has asked for you, but I have pleaded for you in prayer that your faith may not fail. If you think that you're facing something that the devil has brought against you, that a third of heaven is fighting you with, what you need to remember is that there's still an intercessor at the right hand of God, and his name is Jesus, and he is not bound by those powers and principalities, and he's got two-thirds of heaven fighting against the one-third of hell that's fighting. Peter had the right to speak to it because Jesus used his trial to redeem him. In his younger years, Peter was inconsistent, he was loud, he was obnoxious. But in his later years, he was bold. He was tenacious. He would feed the sheep of Jesus as he was commanded, and he would be the guest evangelist on the day of Pentecost because he was tried by the fire. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it, an opportunity for great joy. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, you'll be able to stare into the face of the fire and say, bring it on. I've been here before. There's purpose in your pain. God does not waste our hurt. God does not waste our sorrows. God does not waste our tears. He sows them into our tomorrows. Number two, as the Pastor John and Aaron come, trials can draw you closer to God. Look what Peter says. Remember the context of which this is written. These, these people are, are facing trials and tribulation and persecution that we do not even know. In fact, that, that would take most of us out. That would cause most of us to leave our faith completely and to abandon it, as many of them did. But Peter says to the church that's enduring, verse 8, You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Why? Because you know the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Did you know that the prophets wish that they knew the salvation that we have? We look back at the Scriptures and we say, man, if God would just move today like He did then. I'm telling you, church, we're in the last days and God's trying to do a new thing He's never done before and the prophets are watching from the grandstands of heaven going if I knew what you know if I had what you have there would not be another person left on earth that has never heard the name of Jesus because it's all I would do if I could just come back and have the salvation that you get to walk in he's writing to someone Peter is writing to someone that's watched their friend light the streets of Rome with their dead body. He is watching someone that's been crucified. He's writing to someone that watched their child be taken away and thrown to the wolves. I don't know where you are today. But God never said, I'll keep you from ever having to face anything. He said, I'll save you from your sin. And when you're in the situation that feels bigger than you, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. In this life, you will face tribulation, but fear not, baby, because the king is not still in the tomb. The stone was rolled away, and he has taken back dominion of death, hell, and the grave. I'm telling you that the devil may be giving you hell today, but when I get out of this thing, I'm going to pay it back to him twofold. He's going to learn to stop messing with me and my family and just leave me alone and let me sleep. But we don't need God when we're not facing anything. And when we don't need him, we're usually just content to do life without him. Let's not be conditional. Let's not be shallow. 
Let's not only have that inherited faith, but let's remember that his pleasure in me is greater than the pain against me. You remember what God said about Job? He said, yeah, but have you seen my servant Job? He knew what he was about to go through. But he knew that the, that the test of Job's faith was going to cause the trust of Job's faith. Because our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who he is. So wherever you are today, and I could look at some faces of some people that I know you're going through some difficult things. But I'm telling you that God has not forgotten you. I'm telling you that he's going to bring purpose to your pain. You keep sowing those tears. You let that pain refine you like gold. Take a step in. Dig deeper into your relationship with Jesus. Take a step towards him that you would not have taken had it not been for your situation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? I want you to be patient with me for just a second. But if you're in the room today and, and you're hurting, you're either going into or in the middle of a trial or even a tribulation, I want to pray for you right now. Would you just lift your hand? With nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Jesus, I pray that your comfort would be greater than their situation. God, I pray that your pleasure in them would be more powerful than the pain in them. I pray that they would see hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. And I pray that through the trial, their faith would be proven. That they would learn that they can trust in you and be content no matter their circumstances. Lord, minister your peace today that surpasses all understanding. Administer your joy right now that is truly unspeakable but full of glory. And remind us today that this is not our home, that this is not what we were created for. We are a heavenly creation. And we are on our way to greater things. Every tear that's been sown, turn it to joy. May your mercy be made new every morning. Let them sense your presence today, right now. If you're in the room today and you have not received Jesus as your Savior, we want to pray for you. In fact, we're going to all pray together. And if you just want to be included in this prayer, if you just want to admit to yourself 
publicly right now and say, look, I just don't know where I stand with Jesus and I want to leave here secure and confident that not only have I received salvation in the past or received salvation today, but I have recommitted to my salvation in this moment. So if you're in either one of those categories and you would say, Pastor, I want to be included in that prayer for salvation. I want to commit my life to Jesus or recommit my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? Thank you. Pastor, that's me. Include me in this prayer. Come on, would you stand with me this morning? in just an atmosphere of reverence. If you don't have to leave, please don't do it yet. Don't even get your things together. This is part of the service. In fact, this is the most important part of the service. I want you to say this prayer with me, if you will. And we believe that if you will pray this prayer from your heart, and you will say it to Jesus as authentically as you can pray it, as honestly as you can pray it, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So church, would you pray this prayer with me? If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with everything that you have inside. Even if you didn't, I want you to pray it today if you can make yourself mean it. Jesus, forgive me for where I've fallen short. That sin, that separates me from you. I don't want to be separated. I want to be yours. Take my life and make it yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you every day for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be bound by an inherited faith, by a shallow faith, by a conditional faith. My faith will be true because my faith can be tested. And at the end of my day, I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, inherit the kingdom of God. We believe if you prayed that prayer today, that all of heaven is rejoicing. Church, would you do me the favor and rejoice with those today? Come on, sing just, I believe that you're. Just sing it with us.